Hello, Fellowship. Thank you for participating in the elder nomination process. After a deliberate season of prayer, discussion, and seeking the heart of God, our elders have three new candidates for the office of elder to present to you. Hello, Fellowship. My name is Bill Fries.
Hello Fellowship, thank you for participating in the elder nomination process. After a deliberate season of prayer, discussion, and seeking the heart of God, our elders have three new candidates for the office of elder to present to you. Hello Fellowship, my name is Bill Fries. My wife, Lee, and I have been attending Fellowship for over 15 years. During that time, I've been blessed to be part of small group ministry such as community group leader, welcome and connection team member, prayer team member, and Discover Fellowship support. Our faith has grown from being members at Fellowship Church, and it's a humbling honor to be nominated as an elder candidate. Hi, Fellowship. My name is Charles Greathouse. My family and I have been attending Fellowship since 2008. My wife, Susan, and I have three children, Jonathan, Zachary, and Charlotte. I'm so grateful for how our body has encouraged, challenged, and led our family to the Word of God over the years. From engaging in and leading community groups to serving in FSM as a cell group leader, I have felt His hand at work in this place and through His people. I'm so very humbled and honored to serve you all as an elder candidate at Fellowship. Hi, my name is Nick Rowland, and my wife Cassie and I have been a part of Fellowship for 15 years married together and then many more years before that. And Fellowship has been a part of my journey walking with Jesus uh, in so many ways. Going back to middle school and growing up in FSM, I was discipled here and I was taught how to serve here. And as I moved into college and adult years volunteering in the student ministry and, and reaching a point in my adult life, my early adult life, where I became aware of the desperation of my hurts and my hangups and my habits. And at that time, Celebrate Recovery was a crucial place for me to begin the process of healing. And uh, I've been able to serve in student ministry, on the worship team, in the training center, community groups, and preaching. And it's been just a wonderful place for, for my wife and I to grow. We have a 12-year-old daughter uh, who is thriving here, and my wife serves in the, in, has served in many capacities, currently serves on the worship team. One of the things I appreciate most about this church is the fact that the focus is always put on Jesus and not on any one personality or leader. And so we all are broken people who need Jesus and need grace, and yet the Holy Spirit empowers us to serve in a lot of different ways, and that's a really exciting thing to be a part of. Uh, I'm deeply humbled and honored to be considered as an elder candidate. Thank you, Bill, Charles, and Nick for your willingness to participate in the elder nomination process as a candidate for the office of elder. It's a tremendous responsibility to be an elder of Fellowship Bible Church. Your willingness to be a candidate speaks highly of your character, integrity, commitment to Christ, 
and service to God through fellowship. Now, if you are a member of our church, we have one more request of you. If for some biblical reason you feel you cannot follow a particular candidate's leadership, please email me, mirapier at fellowshipnwa.org, stating your biblical objection, and please do so no later than Thursday, February the 29th. After receiving your notice, I will call you personally and we can discuss your objection, which must have merit based on biblical elder qualifications. We require that all elders have 100% affirmation from our body. If you have no objection, we assume that you are affirming the candidates the elders have set forth from the pool of nominees you provided. Please pray for these new candidates as well as our current elders. And finally, we would like to thank Roger Hill and Scott Thompson for their years of faithful service as elders. They have represented our body well and will now become shepherding elders. If you see them, express your gratitude and appreciation for their years of faithful service. Blessings to each of you. Well, good morning, church family. How are you this morning? Good to see you. Welcome to Fellowship Bentonville, and we are glad that you're here. I know as you look around, you're seeing plenty of empty spaces, particularly in the middle and those up front. Uh, trust me, according to the camera, camera or the uh, I-49 highway camera out there, we still see that several are trying to get into the lot. And so if you would, as we stand in worship in a little while, if you see an empty space, remind yourself, that might be for one of my neighbors who needs a seat here and then close in that empty space when we stand for worship. And speaking of uh, neighbors and people visiting and guests, if you are here at Fellowship for the first time, you're a special guest to us and we would love to meet you personally. Uh, there are a lot of ways we can do that. The one we love the most is actually saying hi to you in person. And so our team at the community booth would love to connect with you. Hey, as Mickey just walked us through in the elder nomination video, a healthy leadership is uh, it's really foundational to a healthy church. You just cannot have one without the other. And that happens at our, our elder level leadership, but that also happens in spiritual leaders all throughout our ministry, from uh, worship ministry to community ministry to our family ministry. So many serve in so many ways. But this morning, I'm gonna highlight a special group of uh, spiritual leaders who you have gotten to know well. And I'm gonna ask these our worship shepherds to kind of come up here and my hope is that you, I know you know them by face. My hunch is you might not know their names. And uh, this is a chance that I get to say hello and thank you to this group of men and women. Uh, when we launched Fellowship Bentonville, not quite even two years ago, before that time, God began to assemble a pretty large group of artists, vocalists, technicians to come and lead us in worship. And Seth Prim looked at that and thought, there's no way I could put my hands around that size of a team. And so he began to look for worship shepherds, men and women who would be leaders of leaders. And this is the group that have said yes to that. I will go, you have Matt and Johanna Musgrave right here at this end. And I know that you have seen them leading together at times or leading separately at times. Sometimes you've wondered, are they married? They seem to kind of touch one another familiarly. Is that appropriate? Um, it is. And so Matt and Johanna, uh, next we have Jared Fincher. Uh, Jared uh, has been a faithful leader. You see him a lot on first Sundays, not always, 
but many times on first Sundays as he captains that service, Sean Campbell is one of our worship leaders. And you might say, I haven't seen him. You're right, that's because he's in the drum kit and you shouldn't be in the drum kit. Uh, and so Sean is one that brings a lot of spiritual depth and uh, wisdom as well to the team. And then we also have Haley Sullivan and she continues to lead up front as well and have led in tons of other ministries uh, around here with her husband, Danny, as well. And then my buddy, Andrew Ogden, uh, who will lead up front from the keys, sometimes from behind, sometimes vocally up front. Everybody says to me, I love the guy with the British accent. That's Andrew. I say, I know, it's not fair, just because he has a British accent. Everybody thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. Trust me, I've been in community group with him. He's not. <laughs> I just had to do that to you. Because the first time I told him that in community group, he looked at me and he said, in that great accent, Mark, that's a ridiculous thing for you to say. And even that sounded smart. And so, but this group of men and women are the spiritual leaders who serve us with a servant leadership process. Now, here's the deal. They have full families. They have full lives. They have full jobs that are not on our team. And yet they give their labor of love because they believe in this body. I am so drawn to servant leaders in the body, and so many of you are part of that. But would you say thanks to this group of men and women who are, who are carrying us? So... I wanted you to see their names and faces together because as we're in a transition process, uh, looking for a leader of these leaders, uh, a team captain as a worship pastor, uh, this team has come to me over and over and said, don't rush the process. Get the right person for the job. We will keep serving and carrying our church forward. Doesn't that feel good? And so we are grateful to uh, be served. Uh, Sean Campbell will actually lead us through uh, communion at the end of the service uh, this morning. But Johanna, would you launch us by praying over us in our service this morning? Will you pray with me? Lord, we're here for you. We just take a minute to allow our souls to catch up to our bodies, to bring our full attention and intention to be here before you, Lord. We know that when we gather, you are among us. And so would you open our eyes? Would you tune our ears? Would you pique our hearts to perceive you, to see you rightly, to see you more clearly, to gain a better understanding of your character, of who you are and why you do what you do. We just ask for your leadership, because we need you. We need you even for that. Bless our time, bless our gathering, and speak to us. It's in your name we pray, amen. Would you stand and sing and worship with us? Would you join me as we read this? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His, His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, people. His love endures forever. Give thanks to him who alone does great wonders, who by his understanding made the heavens, who spread out the earth upon the waters, who made the great lights. His, his love endures forever. Give thanks to the one who remembered us in our low estate and freed us from our enemies. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. 
His love endures forever. Sing, oh, give thanks.
Would you sing holy, holy, holy? Holy, 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 Lord God merciful and mighty. Thank you, Lord, that we can sit under that in confidence that you hold us in your sovereignty and in your goodness. And we will never grow tired of crying, holy, holy, holy. Teach us about that, Father. Teach us to love you more, to honor you more. Would you teach us more about your character this morning? We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Hey, last Father's Day weekend actually landed uh, next to my birthday. And so my kids came together and they gave me a unique kind of gift. Uh, they gave me a subscription to a service called StoryWorth. Uh, it's a subscription service that sends me one question a week that they choose, and then I write a story, and at the end of that year, it collects all 52 stories, binds them in a book, and then not just gives it to me, but gives it to my kids as well. And I started thinking about why they might have given that to me last year. It might have been the fact that as I entered my 60th year of life, they wanted me to capture this on paper while I could still remember. That is quite possible. I forget things all my life. I'm sure that I've given them reason to think that. But I began to notice that the uh, questions were kind of all over the board. They were quite, quite creative. There were casual questions that were things like, how did you learn to ride, to, to ride a bike and who taught you? Who was your first boss and what did you learn from your first job? There were deep and profound questions like, 
What have been the most defining moments of your life that have shaped you even up to now? Questions like, uh, what do you love best about our mother? Questions like, uh, um, who's your favorite child and why is it Kristen? <laughs> Seriously, was a question. And she worships in this hour, so I purposely called her out. With that kind of audacity, you need to be called out, right? But here's the thing. They wanted me to capture my story in short episodes. Well, actually, you know, in this series in the life of David, that's what we've been doing. His, his story is big. As we said, more written on David than any other person uh, in the Bible with the exception of Jesus Christ. And we are choosing to take his life in short episode stories in order to kind of get a picture of this man who God said was after my own heart. But of everything that the Bible writes about David, there are episodes that stand out above uh, other ones. Almost like when you go to Colorado and you see one of those aerial uh, pictures of the Rocky Mountains. Some peaks are just labeled and they stand out higher than the other ones. Well, if David was writing his story worth, there would be one peak that would far surpass any other episode in his life. And no, I'm not talking about his battle with Goliath. I'm not even talking about his anointing as king over all of Israel. The one that stands out most happens at the very end of his life, two years before he dies. And after, after, one more time, after his great sin of murder and adultery. Hold on to that. The timing of that might become significant. This event happens in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, it's important to know that when we read uh, the Samuels in general, but particularly 2 Samuel, it's not always giving us David's life in chronological order the way we might write or read a biography, let's say, of Abraham Lincoln. Instead, uh, the writer writes it over great themes in his life. And so you see the, in 2 Samuel 7, something called the Davidic Covenant, the episode that we will look at this morning, the highest of high peaks in his life is actually listed in the text before his great rise and fall uh, into sin. We pick up the story this morning in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1. Follow along with me. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go and do it, for the Lord is with you. So we know it's a time of great peace and prosperity uh, for David. He's grateful to Yahweh for this because this is a man who's known the opposite of peace and prosperity. And he looks at his life and he has such gratitude. He says, I'm living in luxury and the presence of God symbolized by the ark, the presence of God is living in a tent called the tabernacle, and that just doesn't sit right to him. Nathan hears his desire and says, basically, oh, king, I see where you're going with this. Do it. Keep chasing that idea and go for it. Notice the one who speaks next in verse four is God. And God says, but that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? 
I've not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any one of the rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Hey, the passage we're looking at this morning is the longest monologue of Yahweh in the Old Testament except for when he was talking with Moses and giving the law. And notice that this one starts with a gentle rebuke. Essentially, God tells Nathan, listen, I need you to tell David that my dwelling, it's with a people. It's not in a place. He said, I need David to know that, yes, I know he wants to build me a building, but I have been building a people. And that's my focus. Yahweh is connecting David to the vision of what he's been doing in Israel's history all along. And he's saying, listen, don't you see, while I let you carry my presence in this ark, don't think you were holding me. Oh, no. I was holding you as a nation. I was carrying you with my very presence all along. He gives David a no to his desire to build a temple. This is the best no David will ever hear in his life. A note to self, believer in Jesus Christ. The prayer that we often lift up that God seems to be saying no to. Number one, you don't know if it's no always. And number two, you don't know what the yes is that you cannot yet see. He's got a plan and a timing and a way to work it out because David's no will become his absolute best blessing and our best blessing as well. Look at as God continues in verse eight. Verse eight, the text tells us, now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture from tending the flock and appointing you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone and I have cut off all of your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men on the earth and I will provide a place for my people Israel and plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will give you rest from all your enemies. Right about now, Doug Rains is leading our personal Bible study class over in the training center great room right upstairs. And in that class, he teaches us how to feed ourselves from God's word. And right about now, he's probably telling them that the first way you feed yourself from God's word is you open your eyes and you begin to ask natural questions of observation. And one of the natural questions you ask in this one is, what is the repeated pronoun that you see in this text? I, 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 I. And what does that tell us? Who the prime mover is. 
God is saying, listen, David, I need you to see me at the center of your story and what I am doing for you. He says, David, remember all that I have done, not just for you, but for this nation as a whole. What has God done from David? He highlights two things. He said, I took you from a pasture to a palace. I took you from having no name to making you a great name. How about for Israel? He said, I took you from being no nation to my people. I took you from no land to having a homeland. Folks, if this was a Storyworth book, the title of this book would be Grace Upon Grace Upon Grace Upon Grace Upon dot, 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 dot. Because this is the story of God as he is moving through their lives. I know David started with a motive of seeing that grace and he wanted to see what he could do for God. But what we see God say is, it is not what we do for God that matters most. It is what God does for and through us that matters most. What that means is this. We do not serve God, meaning we do not provide for God's need. No, he serves us in providing for our need. Even the times we serve one another, it's because we have a need to be part of something bigger and better than just ourselves. And God says, when I call you to serve, oh, you will find that I am true to my word. It is far more blessed to give than to receive. He continues to remind us that just like David and Israel, we need a deliverer, a sustainer, a provider, a redeemer. And God meets that need we have, and he meets it in and of himself. See, David sees and wants to do something great for God, but God says, I see your heart. I like the heart, but you don't know that my agenda is to do a greater work of grace in and through you. And then we need to get ready for good news to just get a lot better. Because God continues in verse 11 at the end of that passage. The Lord declares, there it is. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. Your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is known as the Davidic covenant. Translated in common speak, this is known as Yahweh's promise to David. And the promise is threefold. He promises a, a house he promises a, a kingdom, and he promises a throne. When he says a house, he's meaning a lineage. He's going to raise up a successor king. He's going to establish a kingdom. And then he qualifies that promise. He says, and that kingdom will reign, how long? Forever. In fact, if you need a one-line summary of the Davidic covenant, it can be found in verse 16 of chapter 7. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. See the three elements? House, kingdom, throne, meaning David will have a son who will rule a kingdom. 
And twice he uses the, he tells us how long that kingdom will last. Forever. In fact, if you take a closer look at the, this mountain peak called the Davidic covenant, the first thing you see is that it's unconditional and irrevocable. What that means is there are no if-then clauses in this covenant. God has made some covenants with his people that are conditional. They have a if-then clause. Like when he made the covenant with Israel through Moses called the Mosaic Covenant, he said, if you obey my law, then I will protect you in the land. It was conditional, but not this one. This one is different because it's based solely on God's performance and God's grace. In fact, even the verse before, uh, verse 16, where he summarizes that covenant in verse 15, he says, my loving kindness, loving kindness, the Hebrew word hesed, grace. My grace will support and carry you and this kingdom. It's all by his grace. And don't forget the timing of when this covenant of goodness is given to David. This is after his heinous and horrific sin of murder and adultery. Grace upon grace upon grace. Believer in Jesus Christ, our story is all grace. The essential promise of this covenant is that a son of David will rule and reign forever. He goes on to tell us that his kingdom will have no end. And yes, in verse 14 and 15, Yahweh tells David, listen, your sons will come up after you, and when they go astray in sin, I will discipline them. But he says, I'm never gonna remove this throne from your lineage, from the Davidic dynasty, and it will continue on forever. And yet, we've seen no Davidic king fulfill this promise yet. Not even David's son, Solomon, who had a 40-year glorious reign. He didn't even fulfill it. And yet God promised it. So is he just a promise maker and not a promise keeper? What happens to this promise and who in David's lineage can fulfill it? Because Israel has had no king with this kind of God-sized promise for the next 1,000 years until, until a night when a baby cried in a manger in Bethlehem, Psst, David's hometown. And Matthew chapter one, the opening line of the New Testament tells us we have a fulfillment of this promise. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And the genealogy will take us from Abraham all the way up to Jesus' earthly father, Joseph. And in verse 16, it says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah, leaving no doubt of the lineage of who this Jesus is. Jesus was a common name during the time of Christ and in the first century. But this Jesus is not common. He is unique in the fulfillment of only one promise. In fact, twice in the book of Matthew, he is called Jesus the Messiah. That's a Hebrew word that means the anointed one, 
The Greek word of that is Christ, Jesus the Christ. When you say Jesus Christ, you are not giving his last name. You are calling him by his rightful title. Every time you say Jesus Christ, you say King Jesus, the promised rescuer, the promise who came a thousand years before his birth, 3,000 years before our birth. And we stand in the lineage of that kind of promise fulfilled. Our King Jesus is our promised rescuer, which is why when the angel visited both Mary and Joseph, he wanted to leave no doubt who this baby was. And he says to them in both Matthew chapter one and Luke chapter one, the angel comes to Joseph, son of David, says, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. By the way, Jesus means God saves. So every time you say Jesus Christ, you are saying my king who is my God who saves. and He will save his people from their sins. The angel said to Mary in Luke chapter one, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. There he is, a son, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. His message is you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Where have you heard that? promise in 2 Samuel 7. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Where have you heard that? The promise given to great, 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 great grandfather, David. Men and women, this is not a morning of Bible trivia. These are not factoids to file away. This is the high point of the greatest story ever told. And to capture our attention even more, we were grafted in to that story. I have no Jewish heritage by blood, but because the grace of God was so big, he chose to scoop in Gentiles like me, and perhaps you, and give us the same promise. Now, the nation of Israel still waits for the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. Because remember, 2 Samuel actually promised that the king would reign in such a way that he was gonna bring peace and rest upon the land. You remember that phrase that we read? Would that describe Israel this very day? No, tonight, she lays her head in bed, making sure quickly can move to bomb shelters, listening with one ear, constantly on sirens. No, this promise has not been fully fulfilled yet. But what does that mean? Because Jesus Christ has come. Has God forgotten his promise? No, no. He launched this promise because he is that good. He launched it in a two-stage fulfillment. At his first coming, Jesus came to conquer sin and death. Why? because that's our greatest enemy. You can give all sorts of peaceful uh, circumstances and prosperity to us, but I still have to live with me. And my greatest problem is the sin within me 
and the death that awaits me. So I don't need just peace and prosperity. I need somebody to get after the root disease of sin and death. And at his first coming, Jesus came to conquer sin and death. But at his second coming, he will come as a conquering king. He will bring a kingdom full, the scriptures say, of three things, righteousness, peace, and joy. So it's for happy people, people who can get along, and people who like things to work like God wants them to work. That's the kingdom of God. I'm signing up. He's bringing that. He has not forgotten his promises to Israel. Israel will have David's son finally and fully forgive, uh, fulfilling that promise. And look at David's response when he hears God's promise. The text continues in verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you've brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you've also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. It's so good, it's, it's been given to people. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, sovereign Lord. You know his highs and you know his very low lows. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. If you can hear David's words in a way that would let you see his posture right now, what would you see as he came and sat before the Lord? you would see a man overwhelmed, overwhelmed. He asked three questions. Who am I? What can I say? Who are we, your people? He sees the promise of God and how big it is, and then he sees himself, and he's overwhelmed by grace. And here's a really simple question this morning. When was the last time you were overwhelmed by the grace of God? May it be this day, because when we live sanely and rightly, we are overwhelmed every day by his grace. He promises, he promises to us things that are so great that they show us how small we are, and we are overwhelmed by his sovereign grace. David continues his prayer in the very next line. Verse 22, how great you are, sovereign Lord. There is no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people Israel as your very own forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. You see, David sees the promise that God gives and he's struck by the giver. And doesn't that make sense? He sees how precious the gift is that's being extended to him, 
but he doesn't keep his eyes focused on the gift. He lets it travel up the hands and see the character of the giver himself. And you notice the two characteristics of the giver, Yahweh. The two characteristics that he's drawn to and he mentions in this prayer is God's greatness and God's goodness. He calls it his absolute power on one hand, but on the other hand, his abundant goodness. Please, men and women, do not miss those two attributes because God's promises are sure and we can trust them because his power is absolute and his promises are good and will bless us because his goodness is abundant. And when, those, when that absolute power and abundant goodness come together, we anchor our faith in the character of who God is and what he has promised and our faith grows strong. In fact, your faith in God's promises will only be as strong as your vision of his greatness and his goodness. Do you believe me? Your faith in his promises will be as, as high and as strong as your vision of his goodness and his greatness. Have you noticed in David's language that are on the screen right now, can you see the, the depth and the expression of his worship. He's almost charismatic in the truest sense of the word. By the way, you know that charismatic doesn't mean hand up or hand down, right? Charismatic comes from the word charis, grace, gift. It means someone who's responding to the gift and the grace of God. That's his true definition, and David is overwhelmed by God's sovereign grace, which leads him to expressive worship. Quite simply this, on one hand, he is in awe over God's great power, but on the other hand, he is grateful of God's abundant goodness. And whenever power and goodness intersect, there you find worship. In fact, if worship could be reduced to a math formula, it would look like this. Worship is awe plus gratitude. Anytime we are caught in the bigness of something, at a time decades ago, Lisa and I got to stand at Niagara Falls. I was caught in the bigness of something, and I was overcome with the beauty and the goodness of it at the same time in a small way, I saw a gift, and it made me worship a giver. And so it is with us. Every time we see the power and the goodness of God come together, worship is birthed in our hearts. So can I ask a second question? What do you do if your worship right now has become a bit dull or apathetic? Let me tell you what you don't do. You don't look within. You cannot, I cannot, let me put it this way, first person. I cannot gaze at my own navel enough and be in awe over my goodness and power. No, if I wanna see awe and gratitude come, over, come together, I don't need to look within. I need to look up. And I need to see a sovereign God who is over all that no promise he's given will ever be thwarted, can ever be thwarted. He said it, and it will happen. He 
period. And awe of his goodness that he even sweeps me up into that promise of grace. Awe and worship and, uh, and uh, uh, gratitude come together and bring worship. And that increases our confidence in God's promise. I think it's God's promises that strengthen our faith and our faith that turns around and sees God in his awe, his awesome power and goodness, which turns around and strengthens our faith and his promises, which turns around and strengthens our vision of his power and his goodness. And you get to sense that this is an abundant life that we get caught up in. And that's how you see David end his prayer because he goes from seeing the goodness and the greatness of God to a confidence soaring. Look at the next verse, verse 25. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised. Why? I love this. So that your name will be great forever. Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant, so you said it, So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy, and you have promised these things to your servant. Where does his courage come from? From the strength of God's promises. Where do God's promises come from? From the grace of his power and his goodness coming together. Yes, the Davidic covenant is not something that would be fulfilled immediately. David's lineage would not experience this until the birth of Jesus Christ 1,000 years after the promise was given. And yes, the Davidic covenant would not be fulfilled all at once. It would come in a two-stage fulfillment at the first coming of Jesus, and we still wait for his second coming. But every man, woman, and child, unless you are Jewish, is so glad God chose a two-stage delayed coming. Because that's how we got in. The first stage, he dealt with sin and death that every Jew and Gentile struggle with at our core. And he said to Joseph, I will be the one who will send a son and you will call him Jesus and he will, he will deliver, he will save his people from their sin. He's our sin bearer and death conqueror. But we wait for his second coming. As he said, the angel said to Mary, I will give you a son and you will call him Jesus and he will have a throne of David that will last forever. And so we wait for his second coming. A savior who's defeated sin and death and a savior who will bring righteousness, peace and joy to the whole earth. And the only thought that comes to my mind right now is come Lord Jesus, come. And then Jesus says, but as my followers, Jew or Gentile, when you come together, I want you to eat and drink and remember me. Remember what about him? His cross and his empty tomb. And remember the awesome work he did with great gratitude. The ushers will pass the elements to us. And when everybody has been served, we will eat and drink together as one. And Sean will lead us through that time. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus the Christ, 
Son of God and Son of Man, Son of David, the fulfillment of the promise. We stand under your promises made and, and fulfilled, and we wait standing under the promises made and fulfilled. Come, Lord Jesus, come. But until you do, will you fill us with awe and gratitude? We want to give you the worship you're due.
confidence is your faithfulness and I will rest in your promises my confidence yeah. let's stand as we sing
sing what a beautiful name. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a beautiful name it is. Don't we serve a great God? Isn't he good? What a powerful time of worship this morning. Before we take communion, I want us to take just a second to sit in God's presence together as a church body. Can we do that? And I want to lead you through a guided prayer um, just to do what David did, to reflect on God's beauty. So let's do that together. If you can, just close your eyes. And as Pastor Mark so led us well in reflecting on God's sovereign grace, let's just take just a second to reflect on God's goodness. How has God been good to you? Where has he been kind? Just thank him for that for just a second. And let's also thank him for his power. He is such a powerful God. If you can think of a moment where God has shown up for you, where he's been faithful, where he's come through, let's thank him for that. Let's thank him for Jesus, the fulfillment of his promises, right? Jesus, thank you for the work of the cross. Thank you for the beautiful exchange of our sin for your holiness. Thank you that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because of what you did on the cross. Jesus, thank you for your obedience. And so with that, we acknowledge the brokenness of your body. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your brokenness, God. Let's go ahead and take the bread. And Lord, we also thank you for your blood shed for us. We do this in remembrance of you.
Thank you, Jesus. Fellowship, before you go, I have two announcements for you. If you're new, our staff would love to connect with you and meet you out in the lobby. And if you need prayer for anything this morning, our team's going to be to your left over here. We'd love to pray for you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and give you peace. Have a great week.